0: Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, that's a genuine expression there from from us this morning. We thank you for the gift of your word. We bring such gratitude and blessing to you in our in our hearts this morning. We bless your name, God, because of how generous and good you are. We recognize that how how undeserving we are, God, of, of not just the big things, but even the small things. We know everything comes as an extension of your good heart and your generous hand. And we want to we want to deepen our gratitude. For that, for you. We want to shine as lights in a culture that doesn't know who to thank. As people that are marked by a spirit of joy and God marked by a spirit of blessing. So we just pray today, Lord, um, thank you that really today what you want for us is it's not so much what you're telling us to do. But we're just here this morning. What your word has for us today is is truth to just receive what you've done, what you've accomplished, how you've blessed us. So Lord, grow our understanding of that. Grow our confidence in who we are and what we have in you today. Holy Spirit, I invite you to be the preacher today, to be the one ministering to us. And God, thank you that we're your sons and daughters. And we ask that you would meet with us as your children and speak. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Alright. Well, here we are. This is week two of a study through this, if you remember, Mountain Peak is what we called it last week, a mountain peak of the New Testament and of the Bible, the book of Ephesians, penned by the Apostle Paul to this church that was planted in, in, a, in a really remarkable way. He's writing this letter about nine years later to this church, encouraging them to really have one specific goal, and that's to remain faithful in Christ. That's why the title of the series is To the Faithful Ones. That's what we're calling this, To the Faithful Ones, a study on the book of Ephesians. This is how Paul greets this community. He's like, how's it going, church in Ephesus, you faithful ones? That's literally what he says. You guys are the faithful ones, which I love because he speaks that over them, and then he proceeds to call them to faithfulness. It's just really beautiful. It's like one of the best ways you can encourage someone is you don't just slam them down, you know, for all that they're not and then be like, now do better. Like most of us, if that's ever happened, you ever had that happen where someone just like, they're just like, okay, so I'm horrible. And so like now I know what I need to do better, but I don't feel like there's any capacity in me to even be anything or do anything that you said I really should be doing. Um, And that's just not how the Lord works with us. He speaks life over us and into us. And he's like, listen, me in you, the hope of this. But this is Paul here in Ephesians 1. He's like, to the faithful ones. He's speaking faithfulness over their lives. He's calling them to a life of faithfulness, which is um, just a lost art and, and really a lost attribute. The Bible even says, like, most men will proclaim their own goodness, right? Like, it's another modern translation of that is, like, it's not hard to find a dude who won't brag on himself. It's like, really? Men? Men, men think they're awesome? Okay. Wow. So scripture says, like, it's, like most men will proclaim their own goodness, but the Bible says, but who can find a faithful man? Like faithfulness is rare. It's hard to come by. Exertion and, and gifting, it's everywhere, but true faithfulness. And this is what Jesus wants for us, especially in a time like this, to be people who know how to remain, right? Really to remain in what God has said to us, to remain in what he's called us to. It's, it's one thing to know that and go, God, I know who you are. I know what you've said. I know what you've laid before me, but to remain there. And Jesus said this is what the Christian life is really all about. It's all about abiding. It's all about learning to abide in Jesus. That's where the fruit comes. That's where life is found. And that's what Paul really wants for this church. And there's kind of three main movements where Paul is encouraging them to remain. We're looking at each of those three main movements. Chapters 1 through 3 is all about remaining in their position, Like, don't move from the knowledge of who you are in Jesus. Four through six, kind of the half of of six, is all about remaining active in what God has called you to do. And I'm excited to get into that in a few months and talking about what has God called you to do, your roles in your family, and are you remaining active in that? And then lastly, he talks about remaining uh, strong in in the fight that we're in. So this morning, the section we're in, as you might understand, here in Ephesians 1, would fall under that remaining in your position. And... Um, The the one thing that holds the whole book of Ephesians together is this this phrase that the Apostle Paul loves to use. It's like his favorite description of the Christian life, and it's this simple two-word phrase of in Christ, in Christ. You know, maybe that's not kind of how we think as much. I think today we we tend to think a lot about living for Christ, got to live for him, got to live toward him. And that's all good stuff, and we're going to talk about that. But Paul seems most concerned with, first and foremost, Christians learning what it means to be in Christ, in him. Let's think about that simple preposition and how important that is. Learning to understand the Christian life as, as not just stuff you do, but a position you're in, a place you're in, sorry, a person you're in, right? So being in Christ, and in fact, this is so popular in Ephesians, I think in this like, section we just read, it's used more than any other section in, in Ephesians. It's really interesting. Verses 3 through 14 is one long run-on sentence. I like Paul. We, we, uh, we're similar communicators. He's my inspiration. Um, but here especially, it's used over and over again. And so when we go through Ephesians, like every week is just going to be another aspect of what it means to be in Christ. So write this down for today. These verses that Maddie read to us showed us this concept. This is what we're going to mine today in this passage. In this section, Paul is proclaiming and explaining blessing. Blessing in Christ. Blessing in Christ. There is a session at the men's conference Saturday morning that was literally like 80% of what I'm going to say to you today was from that session, and I promise you, 60% was prepared by me, okay? Um, No, sincerely, this is, it's so funny. Coincidental, we say, when God is, it's really called providence, right? That's what Christians believe. But this theme was all over uh, the conference that we were just at as men, this idea of understanding blessing. The Lord knew that we would come back and be studying this this morning. Um, This is what we see here in this passage. I I love it here in verse 3. Paul says this. This is his big idea. He starts this letter after greeting this church with this incredible eulogy, this incredible doxology. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessing God. The word blessing is used three times in this verse. He's like, bless the Lord. I think of Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Paul has not forgotten who God is and what he's done for him. So he's blessing God. And when he remembers who God is, he's like, Lord, I bless you. I bless you, Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. We bless him out of a heart that says, God, you've blessed me. And when, when, when you have an awareness of God's blessing, you can't help but bless him. You just say, God, you've blessed me. I recognize that. I'm not entitled to my life. I haven't earned this. I just feel so thankful for everything. God, I just bless you. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. This is where Paul's at. God the Father, who has notice this, blessed us with every, every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I I love this idea. You know, in our culture, we say a lot, this is we're we're classic kind of like Old Testament blessing. We'll say, Hey, God bless you, man. Lord, bless you. But Paul's like, no, God blessed you. That's the new one, right? It's okay, like, hey, brother, God blessed you, all right? And you walk away, all right? But Paul, is, Paul is, is helping, he wants them to wake up to an understanding of all that they are and all that they have in Christ as the blessed sons and daughters of God. God's blessed you, Paul says. Now, this idea here of blessing is not an isolated concept, like you're blessed in Jesus, blessed and highly favored, right, as we would say. This is not an isolated concept limited to this section or maybe just a few other passages that Christians have really been privy to, and so they use that word all the time, like bless you, brother. It's it's not just kind of this random Christian kind of scattered platitude, but when you see this passage, when you see just this verse, as we properly should see all the verses we read in the Bible, which is a part of a greater story, okay? a part of a meta-narrative, a greater context. When you see this verse in its proper context, what you see Paul pointing to here is a redemptive work that Christ has accomplished that actually restores us back to God's proper intention for our lives from the very beginning. Let me say that again. What you see here in this verse is Paul pointing to a redemptive work that Christ has done to restore us back to our proper intended place that God desired for us from the very beginning, to, to live blessed lives. This, this is what you see in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, this is where God is, is, is giving our, his first insights we have in this passage to, to his own heart towards humanity. In Genesis one twenty seven, God creates man in his own image. Um, At the conference yesterday, one of the pastors mentioned specifically with man, God uses his very hands to form man from the dust of the earth. God is actively involved in the formation of humanity. And God creates man uniquely in his own image to resemble him, to reflect him to the world. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, notice this. Then God, what? All right. Then God Bless them. God bless them. God bless them. And said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, Paul is pointing to the Father in Ephesians 1. And he is, he is depicting God as a Father whose heart, listen, is turned toward his kids. With blessing. I mean, this is the first image we have of God, and and I'm not sure what you have in your mind of God today. I'm not sure what you walk in here with. I'm not sure what sort of, like, um, experiences with your earthly father you've projected on God or or your own experiences that have just led you to have assumptions about God that you think are true. Uh, A.W. Tozer said that what, what comes into my mind when I think about God is the most important thing about me. There's nothing more important in your life today than what you think about God. And scripture's telling us how we should think about him. Maybe right now, all you've been looking at, you haven't been looking at the scripture, you've been looking at your life. And then when you look at your life, you're like, I don't think God has blessed me. You ever felt that way? And, and this is where we, we can sort of go amiss is when we don't look at the truth of God's word, when we don't look at what God has revealed, we, we were left with all of these really broken assumptions that the enemy loves for us to live in. But look at this, look at this display that Paul is echoing years later in Ephesians. We see that That the first description of God's heart towards humanity is that of blessing. I want to say that this is God's default heart posture towards humanity. When God creates man, he's not angry. He's not like, he's cursed little people. Let's see what they can do. He, He creates man, and his heart is turned toward them. He creates them to experience his blessing. He blesses them. His heart is turned toward them in love. This is what Paul is is pointing to, his heart posture. He's a God of blessing. Uh, The scriptures actually say this, that every good and perfect gift, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift in life, the good ones to the perfect ones, they come down from the Father of lights. That God is the one who is the Father of lights. With him, uh, James says, there is no variation or shadow of turning. What that means is um, literally the translation of that is that God has no dark side. Like he's all Anakin before Vader kind of a vibe, all right? Like that there is not a, John says that in him is light and there is no single spot of darkness in him. He is altogether good and lovely and true and kind. And his heart is that of blessing. And every good gift that we have comes from him. Every good gift comes from him. Jim, Jimmy even talked about even the, our very life is a gift from God. So this is what we see, God's heart. Now, we also see, like, God's intention for humanity in this. God blesses them, and he says, now, go into the world. And and here's the, like, this was what the human project, what was was supposed to be. The human life was intended to be this. You can write down this simple phrase. This is what we were created to do. You and I were created to enjoy and extend the blessing of God in the world. It's what we were made for. It's what you were made for. Maybe your life today feels incomplete, Can I tell you, maybe because... You are experiencing the reality of wandering from this. You're experiencing something else. We, we were created to enjoy the blessing of God, not worship the blessings of God, not, not take the creature and elevate it above the creator but to enj- steward the blessings of God, to enjoy the blessing of God, and to, listen, extend his blessing to the world. That was the vision. He said, like, get in here, mankind, I got a plan for you. I'm gonna bless you, and you're gonna represent me in the world and carry forth my blessing everywhere you go and bring beauty everywhere you go. This was the vision. Now, we know that though this was God's creation, we know that there was also sort of, in the world, there's been a decreation, a breakdown, of this intended state. And the reason for that is because, well, as Isaiah says, all we like sheep, this is what the Bible says about the human condition. We see this with Adam. We see this in our lives as well, that we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. So this is, this is the story of history. Okay, It starts with a God whose heart is turned toward you, turned toward me, His hand is even, it's his heart and his hand is extended out with blessing and goodness. And what we do is we turn away from God. That's what we've done. That's humanity. God's default heart posture is turned toward us, but there's this broken thing in us where our default heart posture apart from Jesus is turned away from God. And it's kind of this thing where there's a picture of it in the New Testament with the prodigal son who grabs the inheritance of God who takes the things of God. I mean, the, I mean, today, it's, it's amazing. Like, you know, wh- um, the way that people will live their whole life with wealth and opportunity and, and breath in their lungs and physical giftedness, and they, they, haven't in, they haven't even thought in their life ever, they die without thinking, I should thank God for this. Like, for me, that's my big theological question. People are always like, Andrew, why do bad things happen to good people? That's like, I really have a hard question. I'm like, that's not hard. My question is, why do good things happen to bad people? That's my (laughs) question. That's the one I'm just like, well, Jesus says because the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The, The sun shines on the just and the unjust. God is so gracious that he showers blessing upon people who will never thank him. I'm not like that. Are you like that? That's God. Humanity has turned away from this God who's turned toward us. It's what we've done. That's what it means to be in Adam. to be just like Adam and to go our own way. To say, God, thanks for all the blessings. Thanks for my inheritance. And... This is where we end up, apart from Jesus. This is, this is the story that Paul is writing into, this greater story. Created to enjoy and extend the blessing of God. And, and instead, because we have turned away, here's the result of it. Instead of blessing today in the world, we have still remnants of what's called the curse. Created for blessing... We, t- we, we squander the blessings of God. We take the blessings of God, and we say, God, thanks for that. We're going to worship the gifts rather than the giver. We're going to seize autonomy and say, God, we know how to manage these things. We can do it on our own. This is what the fall of man is. God, we don't need you. We don't trust you. We're going to do it our own way. And the result of this, even from the very beginning, is that there's a curse. God's heart was blessing, but sin brings a curse. You see this right from the beginning in Genesis 3. Um, Right as Adam turns away from the Lord, God speaks to Adam and he says, Because you've heeded the voice of your wife, have eaten from the tree which I commanded you to, saying, You shall not eat of it. Notice what God says. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and in toil you shall eat of it. And, And so this is just the early remnants of this. This is the condition of the world. This is what's wrong with the world. I mean, we need to have the first vision, understand who God is and what he intended, his heart and his hand toward man, that of blessing. Man was to receive the blessing of God, enjoy the blessing of God, and extend the blessing of God. But instead of that, instead of that, what we have is, is the opposite. Instead of enjoying and extending the blessing of God, instead what we have today, and most of you are, are well aware of what this is like to live in a world like this, we've, we've tended to endure and accentuate the curse of sin. This is the world. Created to enjoy, and extend the blessing of God, and instead, as we turn away, we are left enduring the curse, like Adam, and accentuating that. Um, now, what's so beautiful is when you follow the story of the Bible. Though this is the condition of things, you look at the world today, and it's like it's, it's, what a what a place, you know, this whole world thing. It's quite a fixer upper, isn't it? This whole world, um, and, and it's this like dichotomy, this this. This paradox of heaven and hell on earth. You know what I'm saying? It's the weirdest thing. There's blessing and there's curse. Just this, this, this conflict in the world, in our own lives. How we can, James says we can bless one person with our mouth, or we can bless God, and then we can curse someone on the opposite hand. Just blessing and curse, this whole disaster almost. Uh, from the very beginning, God has promised to and sought to restore what was broken in the garden. I love this. When when God gathers Abraham to himself and commissions him and gives him a mission to be a father of many nations. No, notice what he says to him. He says, I will make you a great nation. I love this. I will bless you and make your name great. And what does he say? And you shall what? Do you see the restoration? Project restoration. So you have Project Humanity. Then you have Project Rebellion, which was humanity's idea. It didn't work out so well. It's brought a curse. But then you have God from the very beginning saying, I- I've got a Project Restoration. God says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. See the restoration? I'm going to call you out of the curse to to experience my blessing and extend my blessing. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, notice this, all the families of the earth, in the Hebrew it says, even in Boca Raton, Florida, shall, (laughs) shall be blessed. That was sarcasm. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God says, I am, through Abraham... Listen to this, creating a covenantal family of blessing. That's going to do battle with the curse. And it's going to prevail over the curse. Some of us, all we know is the curse. Jesus says, come to me. Jesus himself comes on the scene and Jesus is You know, if there's one simple way to to describe, like I'm not sure your view on Jesus, um, I just want to say what matters most is not just your view, but God's view of Jesus. That's really important. The truth of Jesus. But um, Jesus, Jesus on earth was the embodiment of blessing. That's That's one way to think about Jesus. God's blessing. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Everywhere, Jesus comes on the scene, everywhere that Jesus goes, what does he do? He brings what? Blessing. He steps into curse situations, curse loneliness, curse broken systems, curse disease. I mean, just like the nature of life, this barren wasteland of the curse. And everywhere Jesus goes, he brings the kingdom of light. He brings blessing. He's like, my blessing is more powerful than curse. And that's what he does. And He even teaches his followers. Don't you love this scripture, Luke six twenty eight? He's like, all right, guys, we're this new covenant family of blessing in a world of curse. Here's what he's teaching his people to do. My blessing is going to be so strong in your life that you're going to even learn to bless those who curse you. (laughs) This is what he's up to, restoring blessing, bringing us back to what was there in the garden. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Uh, But Jesus came to do so much more than model what blessing looks like in a body. Jesus came to do so much more than give humanity some kind of archetype version of how you should live and what you should be. Jesus did not just come to embody blessing, but the Bible says that Jesus came also to take within his body the curse. This is what it says in Galatians chapter 3. Christ has, notice this, as he goes to the cross and lays down his life, Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become, look at this, a curse for us. For it is written, here's the gospel, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon, in the Greek, those in Boca, the Gentiles, that was Hebrew, this is Greek now, the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. You see what Jesus comes to do? You have project humanity from the very beginning. God is creating mankind to live from and for blessing, to, to experience and extend the blessing. We've turned away from God, and we have instead been left enduring and accentuating curses, we've experienced and then we transfer on to other people. We're not just victims of this broken system. We are also co-contributors, aren't we? But Jesus comes to give us a whole new way. He comes to restore blessing. And this is what Paul is speaking about. That Jesus ultimately, he goes to take that curse upon himself. So those who are in him can say this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe that's where you should be today, this morning, just in a place of your heart where you go, God, thank you. I just bless you that curses don't have their final say in my life. I just thank you, Jesus, that the curse of sin is not the end of the story. I just thank you, Jesus, that what's broken doesn't have a final say. But you're the God of blessings. And you've taken the brokenness of this world into yourself to create a new humanity, a new people of blessing, a covenant community that exists. That's what we're here to do today. I mean, the church is a community of people. I mean, is there not a better way to summarize who we are today? We're people who are like, Jesus has blessed us. It's awesome. It's like, how would you get that blessing? Jesus. What would you do to earn it? Came to Jesus. How many times did you go to church to get it? Zero times. Just went to Jesus, Right. Like there's no workspace thing here. There's no way to work your way out of the curse. We're just like, we're those that have come to Jesus and He showered his blessing on us. and Now we exist in the world to be a blessing. This is it. This is our lives. You've been blessed in Jesus to be a blessing. And I love that Paul, and I think this is where we have to kind of get into the space here. I'm speaking to the Christians now. A lot of us, listen, even if we theologically ascend to this, a lot of us don't live with this. We live in a mindset and mode of spiritual deficit. I don't have enough. I can't be enough. I'm not like them. I haven't been good enough. I ha- right? Fill in, the, fill in the, whatever your reason is for why you're not enough. And Paul's like, this is, not, th- this is about Jesus and what he's done for you. Paul says, he has blessed us, notice this, with a few spiritual blessings in Christ. Notice the supply. Every spiritual blessing in Jesus. Paul's like, you have everything you could ever need right now in Christ. Do you believe that? Do we live like we actually believe that? I, I think most of the time, one of the ways that we see that we don't believe this is how stingy we are in our lives. And some of us, we, we, come, from a, we come from a scarcity background where there's never enough. And we've let that transfer into our walks with Jesus. So there's just never enough of you for anyone. And you live like, God, I don't ever have enough of you, and I have never have enough to give. It's just this not enough stuff. And Paul's like, you need to come out of that scarcity stuff and step into that abundant stuff. When you, when you don't have enough, you know what you do with your life? You hoard it, don't you? I can't lose it. My time, my life, I just got to hold on tight. You're so enslaved. But when you know you have more than enough, your hands are wide open and you're just like, I'm f- I freely received. I can freely give because my security is not in me. It's in Jesus and what he's done. So here I am, just available to be a blessing. I mean, this is the vision that he has for a community of people to be rooted in, in something specific. He talks about this, and I want us to see this. He talks about the Father's blessing. I love that. He names the source of our blessing. He names um, who the great reward really is and who the, the author of blessing is. Praise the Father, he says. He says, blessed be the God and Father. He's the one who has blessed us. I mean, this is the good news of the gospel, not just that we get restored back to the riches of Jesus. Thanks, I got my bank account full again. I've got all the things that Jesus purchased. No, no. You have what you were created for in the first place, that that Father whose heart is turned toward you. That's the gospel. The the gospel is not, you know, I get Jesus, so I get heaven. The the gospel is I go to heaven to get Jesus. You get that? Like, I get him. He's the reward. Abraham says, you're my exceedingly great reward, the Father of blessing. You have the Father's blessing. And this is what, what Paul is unpacking. He says this a couple ways. How do I have the Father's blessing? He says, well, first, he's appointed you. Think about this. You have the Father's blessing this morning in Christ. You've been restored back to this. He's appointed you. How has the Father blessed me? This is his heart for you today. He's appointed you. Paul says this. He chose us in him. I love this. This will be fun to think about. Before the foundation of the world. That was a long time ago. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He's appointed you. So, so, so Paul is, okay, let me say this. When Paul's writing this to the church at Ephesus, he's not seeking to present a theological conundrum for these Christians. Like, he chose me. Well, did I choose him, or did he choose me? Who's, which five points are going to explain this? Okay? This is not meant to go, listen, I love great conversations about election. Like, one of my favorite conversations is when someone's like, hey, do you believe in election? Like, what do you, what do you think about election? I'm like, well, I, yeah, I believe it. You know? <laughs> that's it. Like I, the Bible says it. Like he's like, I, he, he chose me not just like before I thought about him. but He's like before the world was here. Okay. So like, but this is not meant to be this like, well, well, can you, this church, you know what they were doing? They were struggling to be secure in who they were. This is not meant to get to your head to, pre- to, to, to present an argument with you and another Christian. This is meant to go to your heart. That's what he's trying to do. Get this in your heart. Like, so this morning for a second, this is not something I would normally challenge you to do, but I want you to take that confused theological brain that you're always employing for a second and just push pause for a second, okay? And I just want you to sit here and receive God's word. This is just true. He chose you. He chose you. Before the foundation of the world, he chose you. Let that go to your heart. That's all that's intended to do. Let that go to your heart. You chose me in Jesus before the world was ever made. Uh, Paul is is reminding these Christians of their security, that they didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'm going to go knock on God's door and ask him to save me and be like, hey, God, hey, it's me, a sinner. I was just wondering if there's a way for you to fix my whole sin problem, this whole like broken relationship thing. And he's like, yeah, I think I could. Yeah, I can do that. I think I'll do that. No. Paul's like, that's not how this works. In 1 John, uh, John says this, we love him because he first loved us. I mean, this is about response to a God who pursues us, who seeks us, who chooses us. There's a lot of mystery in making sense of how that all works out. His disciples are told by Jesus that you didn't choose me, but I chose you. But this is ultimately meant to be an encouragement to us, that God has chosen us. He's appointed us. He's selected us. He's chosen you. I want you to notice why. He says he's chosen us in love. It's an act of love. He doesn't go, yeah, you're savable compared to them. They're unsavable. You're like extra savable. You gotta, you know, what, you'd make. I need you on my team. I need to pick. You ever, you know, that like, dynamic in in like P.E. and stuff, where it's like, oh gosh, they pick the two captains. They're always just, they're always so annoying too, and they're like the cool kids, and then I'm there like Andy the skateboarder, like hey, pick me, you know, like. And It's just like okay, mine. You try to present, and you, like most of middle school is like getting yourself to the level where you're not picked beyond fifth place. You know what I'm saying? It's like I've got to prove my worth here for the team. And then you turn, like, you turn sixteen. You're like, being good at capture the flag means nothing in the in the modern world. It's like it's like what do you what are you good at? It's like capture the flag. That's um, uh, you're a basketball player. I'm more of a capture the flag guy. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really it doesn't really turn over well, but. This idea that, listen, God looks on at you, and he chooses you to be saved in him. As you look back on your salvation, it's been described like a doorpost. Um, Ironside is a preacher who said, you, you see above the doorpost, it says, come to me. Call to me and be saved. And you go, the Holy Spirit leads you through the doorway. And then you look back and it says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. I love that. You're just like, so that, let that make sense of it for a little bit. But he goes, I chose you, not because I was like, you've earned it, and they didn't. No, I just love you. I love. He chooses you in love. He loves you. He chose you because he loves you. He told this to Israel. He says, you're a holy people. This is Deuteronomy, to the Lord your God. And the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. Now, notice he gives a, a big qualifier here in verse 7. The Lord did not set his love on you and choose you, because you were more in number than any other people. It's not like you impressed him. It's not like you manipulated his attention. This is, by the way, the essence of every other religious belief system and every other religion. You've gotta appease God. You gotta get his attention. This is what a lot of us have been raised with in our home. Gotta get my dad's attention. And he's like, this is not what happened. You didn't get my attention. In fact, if there was anyone who wasn't gonna have my attention, it was you. He says, you were the least of all the peoples, but notice this, but because the Lord loves you. He just loves you. He's a covenant-keeping, faithful God, and he sets his love on us, and he chooses us. Paul says, you have the Father's blessing. He's appointed you in love. If you are in Christ, look back over that doorpost and know that you're not in this position because you were selectable, okay, because you made a good contribution to the ideas he loved you and he wants to make some great things out of your life and that's an encouragement to be received in our hearts. Amen? I want you to see what he chose us for. He appointed us, it says, to be holy, I love that, and without blame before him. He appointed us not for us to make ourselves acceptable, but to be acceptable to him. Through Jesus, um, the the language here of holy without blame, uh, the, the the word pairing there it, it's a phrase that's used of the Jewish sacrifices. If you wanted an offering that was acceptable to the Lord, you couldn't bring some unholy, blemished sacrifice, some 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 flawed sacrifice to the Lord. You had to bring that which was holy and without blame, that which was was worthy. And this is for a lot of us especially that maybe come from a performance household. We live in a performance culture. We are living our whole lives pursuing something in Christ, a lot of us, that's already been settled. So many of us are just trying to be acceptable to God. I just want to be, I want to be able to come before you, and you be pleased with me, and you accept me, and you like me, and you say, okay, I'll receive you. And, and I love this. Paul's like, that's not something you choose to do. That's something God has already chosen for you. He's chosen that about you. You see, the Bible teaches that in Jesus, here's what happens. We come to Jesus with a garment of sin, a garment of brokenness. We come before Jesus in our our real, honest, broken state. And the scriptures teach that this is how God makes us clean and righteous. Jesus on the cross, he takes upon himself our uncleanness, our unholiness. The Bible says that God made Jesus who knew no sin, who was righteous, to be be sin on our behalf, on the cross, to take that upon himself so that you and I could become the righteousness of God in him. So that you and I today could say, God, I come before you, not on the basis of my performance, not on the basis of my good or bad week. I come before you under the basis that you chose me in love to be here in Jesus, holy and without blame. Holy and without blame. I mean, imagine feeling, imagine knowing that you can come to God at any moment without this guilt of I'm not worthy. You know what I'm saying? That's what the gospel intends to give us. So the Father's blessing, what is it? He's appointed you. He's appointed you to be holy without blame and love. He's also adopted you. Paul says, beyond just appointing you, he's also predestined us, predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of his will. And I hope you see what I'm trying to talk about here with the election stuff. It's like as Christians, sometimes instead of arguing, we just need to let the Bible speak. Like, let's just listen. This is what scripture's just saying to us. It's not meant to cause arguments, but just for us to be encouraged. Paul's like, don't, don't get confused. You were predestined. This is what scripture says to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. You have the Father's blessing. Through Jesus, you're restored back, and I should say repositioned back to adoption. This is something that God had in in his very heart for your life. Before you even thought a thought of him, he was thinking of you. And he saw us in our our opposite state. Um, The contrast to adoption in scripture is not just that you're orphaned. It's that you're enslaved. This is the scriptural depiction of the transference that happens for a human who becomes a son or daughter of God. They don't just leave an orphan state, but in that culture, most orphans were enslaved. And that's the language that Jesus uses in John 8 where he says this. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. That's the the condition. Like our condition apart from sonship is slavery to sin. We're, we're orphaned slaves. We've been cut off from our father and we're stuck in these broken cycles. And so here's what's so beautiful about this idea of adoption. You know, first of all, adoption uh, is, is, happens when, when someone says, I choose you to be in my family. I love that. I have a friend who has, a, who has two biological kids and one adopted kid, and they tell the adopted kid, You know, we chose you. I love that. Like the other two we chose to have, but we especially selected you. I mean, just because a lot of times that adopted kid can feel like I'm less a part of the family. Even though legally you have the same rights, the same name, the same everything, you are as if, that's what's declared in that courtroom, as if you were born of the same flesh and blood. But that spirit of encouragement to that child that might feel like, I'm not really a biological, that's what we use sometimes. Like, yeah, how many kids do you have? Well, I have, I have three. It's like, well, one of them's adopted. It's like, well, oh, so you have two kids. Two. It's like, no, no, I have three kids. That's what it'll say. Those are, he's, not, he's not any less my son. In fact, he says that. He goes, we chose him. We especially were like, come into our family. I mean, this is the language here of Ephesians, that God looks at your life and he selects you to be in his family. And Jesus points to this when he says, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And he, he talks about this. A slave does not abide in, the house, in a house forever. There's no security for a slave, except for the term that they have, the season they have. A lot of us, we think this way with God. We just are, are getting by from year to year season to season, trying to have enough, trying to keep my standing. And listen, that's a slavery mindset. That's a mindset of bondage that has you stuck and shackled to a way of life that's contrary to the way of Jesus. And here it says this, a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. See, a son is an heir. A son gets to receive all that inheritance and blessing of the father. And then Jesus says this, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. This is what Jesus was contrasting, slavery and sonship. It's not just that you go from an orphan, not having a father, but you go from orphaned and enslaved. I love this, to adoption. Just really beautiful. He predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. And I, I want you to point this out, or I want to point this out to us. It was according to the good pleasure of his will. I really like that. Because sometimes I know that God uh, loves me. Maybe I struggle to believe that he likes me. Anybody else feel that way? It's like, yeah, you love me because I know the gospel and you love me. And God loves all the little children, all the children of the world, okay? You love me. Did you ever think about this? Like it pleased the Father to bring you into his family. It's the good pleasure of his will. He's like, yep, you. I love you and I like you and I want you in my family the good pleasure of his will to bring and I love this we don't just come into his family but he adopts us this is really beautiful to himself isn't that great he's like you're too far I want you near I'm adopting you and calling you to be near this is most of what God is up to in our lives right now a lot of us think that God just wants me to walk straighter and there's there's truth to that but really what God wants you to do is just walk closer he's like just come near I didn't just adopt you to have new behavior. I adopted you to be a son that's rooted in a relationship with their father. So come near. And then lastly, he hasn't just appointed you or adopted you. He's also accepted you. He's accepted you. This is the father's blessing. This is what Jesus comes to restore in a world where the curse is profound. The blessing of God brings a redemption that's so strong that we can now not just receive it, but extend it. The Father's blessing, he's appointed us, he's adopted you, and he's accepted you. All of this good news of adoption and appointment to salvation is to the praise of the glory of his grace. In Latin, soli deo gloria. All for your grace. When we get to heaven one day and we're there as adopted sons and daughters of God, and we look on each other, and we're like, and we see someone that we're like surprised to see there, you know, like, how did you, how did you get in, you know? And the answer is the same way you did, right? Same way we all did. There's no one that's going to get to heaven and, and like chest bump, you know, each other, like we did it, we made it. This is all about grace, guys. There's no boasting here. You know what I'm saying? You know, you know what? Actually, there is boasting here. Paul says we boast in our weakness. That's what he says. That's the only room for boasting in the church of God. Here's how broken I am and how much I need Jesus. That's our boasting. Paul says, God forbid that I should boast in anything except for the cross, man, except for where grace was poured out on me. And Paul knows grace, doesn't he? Paul's like, if anyone, if anyone doesn't deserve Not just to be an apostle, but like let alone in the room and at the table. Paul's like, it's me. He says, But I am what I am by the grace of God. God's riches at Christ's expense. The unmerited favor of God that's poured out on my life. The gift of God. I'm thankful for grace this morning. You're in grace today. You're still in grace. You didn't move from grace to works you are in grace grace is not just what saves you grace is is what in the end is what we're going to we're going to be praising Jesus for his grace we're going to be like it was all because of your grace so god help us boast more in our weaknesses so that we can learn to be weak in our flesh and strong in grace strong in grace so that that's where this all comes down through and he says it's through this grace lastly by which he's made us accepted and i love this accepted in the beloved now the word accepted there is really important this word of accepted grace it it actually ties more to the word grace than we would think to with the word accepted. So when we think of the word uh, ex- like accepting things, it's kind of like, there's often maybe um, like a hint of reluctance to it. Do you know what I'm saying? You ever like reluctantly accepted something? You're just like, okay, I'll accept that. Or like, are, are they coming too? Okay, we'll let them come. You know, like we we accept you into our gathering, you know? The word acceptance here That he's accepted you means literally, in the Greek it means he highly favored you. Jesus is not your reluctant savior. God is not your reluctant father. He's not your obligated father. He's your Abba father. He favors you. He loves you. He in his grace lavishes his grace on you and he calls you, I love this, the beloved. That's who we are. That's who we are. What a great name for the church. That's who we are. We're not just the flock of God. We're not just the bride of Christ. We're the beloved. Those that are loved by God. I can't help but think of Jesus' baptism when that voice comes from heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. There's affirmation. There's affection. There's all the things that we're longing for that are ultimately found in Jesus. So I want to invite Jimmy up and Brittany as we close out. But I want to come back to our first verse, verse here. And I want you to just take some inventory of your life this morning. Super Bowl Sunday, we got a lot of, a lot of chicken wings on the horizon, okay? <laughs> but don't, don't miss this moment. All that you're looking for this morning is found in Jesus, who has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Here's a question, what have you been looking for? What have you been seeking? Is there something about the Father that you've been seeking that you've had all along? And because of that, that lack of awareness, maybe you've kind of been living like this, you've been hoarding your life, living from a, living from a deficit rather than a surplus, do you know what I'm saying? So maybe this morning the, the closing part of this is just to come to God and say, God, um, I want to repent for that mindset. I want, to, I want to repent, God. Here's what it is usually. It's an operating system. Do you know what I mean? That, that has just been so ingrained to us by our experiences that we kind of function that way. We just say, Jesus, would you give me a new operating system? Would you change me from the inside out? Would you so download these truths into the, the core of my being that my whole life it begins to be defined by someone who's enjoying your blessing. You weren't just created to endure life. Do you know that? You were created to enjoy God and enjoy his goodness. That doesn't mean you don't have to endure, but you know the, the secret to endurance? You know what it is? Joy. It was for the joy set before him that he what? Endured the cross. So come back to joy today. Come back to a place where you say, Jesus, I have what I need in you. Forgive me for living with a cursed operating system. That's led me to to extenuate that curse to others. And instead, God, fill me with your blessing. Pour out your spirit upon me. Give me a confidence to who I am in you and what I have in you, to what your grace means for me, so that, Jesus, you could use me to be a blessing to the world around me. Let's take a moment to connect with God in this place, to receive what he has for us.